Father, again, uh, we just stop and acknowledge your presence and thank you for the fact that this is a chance to be together again. And uh, Lord, we uh, thank you for those that are even listening right now on uh, on the web and for those that do that work to make this even possible for them to listen in and catch up. Lord, uh, I just pray for tonight to be a night where you're able to just continue to teach us and open our eyes and our ears. Uh, Lord, there there's some things here that if we could really grasp them, and live them and allow you to live it through us, uh, so many issues in the church would just disappear. Help us to see these things, but not only learn it for knowledge, but by your spirit, believe that you will move it and, and move us to, to accomplish it and empower us to actually live this out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, where we're going to get started. Now, as we're going into chapter 15, there's a tendency when we study the Bible to put a, put a break at the end of chapter 14 and, you know, kick in at chapter 15, if you will. If you do any study of Scripture, you'll start to realize, man, I think this still ties in with the last chapter. And this is what you're going to notice as you read. Remember, what we dealt with last week was how we're not to be judging people if they see certain disputable matters differently than we do. And we spent a lot of time really dealing with that. And look at what he says in chapter 15. It's a continuation of where he left off. He said, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will open him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to take some time to break this section down. Uh, but what I want to deal with first is, look at what he says here in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. There's a lot here that if you just read it quick, you're going to miss out on. It appears, if you do look at this closely, there was a struggle that was happening inside that church there in Rome between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And you'll say, well, how do you see that? I'm going to point that out to you. Last week, when we looked at some of the things that Paul brought up as illustrations of disputable matters, what were the two things he listed? Some think one thing's okay, another one's thinking it's not. Some think certain things are okay, and it's not. What were the two issues he used? Food. Food. And what? One considers one day... Oh, the Sabbath. We could assume that most likely it might have been the Sabbath or whatever. Right. But you see, these are Jewish issues. To you know the Jews had been grown up with the dietary laws of Moses and all this. Now you get the Gentile Christians who are eating pork, and you got the, you know, them worshiping on on Sunday instead of on the Sabbath, and all this kinds of stuff. These types of issues started to arise amongst the believers there in that church. At the same time, as you're going to see in a little bit, as we just touched on, Paul feels the need to go into great detail to illustrate the Gentiles are just as equal in the eyes of God as you are. So there still must have been in that local body of Christians who were Jewish and Gentile some struggles over, well, I don't think I fully agree with you because I've been kind of raised this way, and well, I feel like I'm okay, but you know, that, do you see the tension that must have been there amongst the Jews and the Gentiles? And so Paul's still kind of dealing with that issue. And so, what he says here, and I'm going I'm I'm to reread re, re it to you, but I'm going to paraphrase it for you. In this verse, where he says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. He said this, We who are strong need to bear with the failings of the weak. In other words, strong Christians are responsible 
for bearing the burdens created by weak Christians' scruples and qualms. I'm going to read it again. Strong Christians are responsible for bearing the burdens created by weak Christians' scruples and qualms. In other words, the problems created by weak Christians' issues and concerns. In other words, if there are young Christians in a local body, are they going to have complete wisdom and maturity and understanding? Of course not. Because of that, there are going to be some issues that arise. Paul's saying that the strong Christians need to understand that this is going to happen, and they need to bear with it and come alongside and carry them until they're strong. But what is our tendency when we start to have disputable matters arise or issues arise amongst brethren who don't fully see certain things eye to eye? What's our tendency? To grumble about it. Grumble? What else? Argue. Argue? What else? My way. My way? Walk away. away. Isn't there a strong tendency after a while to say, well, you guys, you go that way, you just go ahead and you do it, and we're going to go. There's a tendency to just separate yourself. It's very strong. Because we just want things to be smooth. And part of the reason why we we got this thing going is this, because we just want people to saw it like we do. And then when we get together a group of people that see it like we do, all of a sudden we realize not everybody sees it the same way, even in this group, that branches off from this group. And we keep... Man, you're going to keep dissecting yourself till there's nothing left. That's why Paul says we who are strong need to bear with the failings, if you will, of the weak and not please ourselves. In other words, the tendency to please yourself is to say, well, I'm just going to go get the people that see it like I see it. Is it not? Is that like the split of a church? That's part of, partially. It could, be, it could be that. It definitely could be that. Well, but I do that all the time, personally. We all do. If things aren't going well, I say, well, I'm going home now. <laughs> I just do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but those of you that are parents, when you're raising kids, are there not times that you know they don't quite understand and you put up with it because you know my main purpose is to mature them and raise them and have them become what they're supposed to become and you bear with the failings of the week, if you will. Even if it's on a simple level of teaching your kid that it's nap time. They don't understand it. It makes no sense to them at all. They'll throw fit. They might turn to rubber. But what you do is you don't say, hey, well, you, know, you want to knock yourself out, live your own life. I don't care. No, you bear with it. You work your way through and you help them become what it is they need to be. Why? Because you know as a parent it's your responsibility to help them mature. We've got to see that if we really see each other as family, we need to understand that God has put us together for the purposes of Him using us to encourage one another. And there's going to be times, as Paul just dealt with in chapter 14, where we don't all see it the same way. And those who are mature enough to realize that all food really makes no difference before God, because it's all clean and already already done so. And those who see one day as more sacred than another, and others see every day really as the same in the eyes of God, those who are more mature need to what? need to bear with those who don't understand and help them get to where God wants them to be. But don't make it a matter of contention. Don't make it a matter of judgment and setting up your different camps. God will lead you in each situation how to get there. But our purpose is that we would be used together to help us become strong in the Lord. But our tendency to please ourselves is to just find people that see it just like us. Denominations. That's part of it. That's part of it. You know. I think to totally say all denominations were wrong is to go too far. Mm-hmm. I think for the sake of God being able to accomplish some things, denominations have been necessary. I think there comes a point, though, where they become the be-all and end-all. That's, that's where it's an issue. Do you see what we're talking about here? In this one little verse, we're going to understand that strong, we who are the strong Christians need to carry the weak Christians along until they're strong. Our typical reaction when that happens is is to say, well, you go your way, I'll go mine. And that's not what the purpose is. I'm going to ask you an honest question. Did Jesus fully agree with everything the disciples did and believed as he walked with them for three years? No, but I bet you he just bit his lip and let some things go for a while. Did he not? Because if he tried to fix every issue with those knuckleheads, they would have gotten nowhere. But his purpose was to mature them along until... And even at the last week, they're not there. You know, but he didn't give up on them because he understood that his purpose was to mature them up. In the same way, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. We see that in chapter 12. Yet at the same time, 
if you see things a little bit more maturely than other believers, don't think yourself better than them. Help them see it. Which, oh, by the way, might mean that you don't eat meat for a while. You understand? For the purpose of building your brother up. Oh, but in time, in time, there's gonna, they're going to come to an understanding and they're going to say, oh, you were right. And you'll say, yeah, let's go get a burger. <laughs> Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. When I was in Chicago, there was this uh, wonderful couple that came to visit me and my, they were from another church and a different denomination that uh, doctrinally I didn't agree with everything that they believed and taught. And this couple came to me and they were very concerned because all of a sudden their pastor was starting to preach no longer from the Bible, but from dreams and visions. And literally the pastor would get in the pulpit on Sunday morning and preach from a dream or a vision that he had just gotten that week. And one Sunday told the congregation that he could see into their living rooms. That when he would get in prayer, God would let him see what they were watching on television, what they were talking about, and that he could visit, physically see what was happening in their living rooms. Well, this couple made an appointment to come see me as a pastor, pastor of another church in that area to say, is, is this biblically true? Is this right? We don't feel comfortable about this. And I had the chance to show them scripturally, you know, this is a little bit wacky. You need to be real careful about whether or not you want to follow a person like this. Well, they... Um, decided they were going to leave the church. And uh, all of a sudden they got letters from this pastor saying, you know, you know, because they, they had, maybe back up, they had actually written a letter to their friend saying, look, we're not going to come anymore and here's why. The pastor had heard that they had written the letters and was writing, calling them and saying, what's in that letter? What's in that letter? And I just told them, tell them to go dream it. You know, and, and that kind of thing. But they ended up coming to our church. But before they came to our church, this is what they told me. They, they said, well, we, we're thinking about coming to your church, but we're not so sure if we're supposed to. And I said, why? They said, well, you don't believe in speaking in tongues. And I said, right. And they said, well, we believe that it's a sign that someone has the Spirit of God. And if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. I said, okay. So you think, because I don't speak in tongues, that I'm not saved. They say, yeah, I said, well, why did you come to me for godly counsel? <laughs> According to your belief, I don't have the Spirit. Yet, you want to come to me for counsel. That doesn't make any sense. They said, well, you seem to have a lot of wisdom. We think you're on a journey and that one day you will get this gift and all. They end up joining our church. I did not... According to Scripture, try to win the argument. Remember, so we looked at 2 Timothy 2.24 last week. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, must gently instruct. And so what I did was, I just simply just said to them, I don't really see the Scriptures that way. And I was friends with them. One day, it was such a neat, neat situation. On Sunday morning, it was Sunday school hour, people were heading to their classes, and I see Dennis, and he comes running down the hall, and he says, Pastor, Pastor, you're okay, you're okay. And I was like, how am I okay? He goes, well, I was reading the other night in Corinthians where Paul said, I wish you all could speak in tongues. And he was writing to the church. There must have been people there in the church that couldn't. You're, you're okay, Pastor. You're all right. And I said, thank you. It just, it's great to be okay. And we're, you know, we're great friends now. And we still email and talk and all. And it was neat how God brought them to that understanding. I could have easily said, until you see it like I see it, we'll have no fellowship. You know what? We, have, we agreed on the most important thing. That it was salvation by faith alone. And since I was shepherd of that flock, I said, because you don't see what I see in the scriptures when it comes to this area, please do not teach it and do not purport it. And if that's what you see, you and the Lord have fun in your own time. In time, God got them to an understanding of a more biblical thing. And this is what Paul is talking about. There's going to be times when you and other Christians don't agree on certain issues. Your instinct is to say... We can't have fellowship. Paul says, you who are more mature, bear with the failings of the weak. Your purpose is to help them become mature. In time. Don't say to them, well, because I'm mature and you're weak, I'll still stick with you. But you'll know in your heart when God is saying, look, help them get there. In time. But who's going to be the one who actually helps them actually end up with the truth? It's going to be the Spirit of God by Himself. Our job is to come alongside of them. So this is what Paul is saying here as he's dealing with that. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good. For what purpose? To build him up. Mm -hmm. To build him up. Because even Christ didn't please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now before we go any further, think back. How much did Jesus put up with 
from people who thought they were right who didn't understand the scriptures. Every day. Every day. Give me some examples of some of the stuff that they were doing and saying to him. You can't heal on the Sabbath. Can't heal on the Sabbath. Well, he was the mother of the two disciples about their, you know, one being on his right, the other hand being in a high place. I mean, yep. He really could have lambasted his own mother. His own mother and brothers didn't oh, understand. Yeah, right. they, when they went to get him in that situation when they say your mother and your brothers are outside, if you back up in the Gospel of Mark, they had left their house because they thought he was out of his mind. Mm-hmm. How about Peter from going from saying you're the Christ to saying you're wrong. I'm not going to let you die. How about Judas who's pretending to be one of them all along and Jesus knew he wasn't. When it comes right down to it, and he keeps saying over and over, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to be handed over to the Gentiles, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they're going to kill me. Just when Judas said, I'm done. How many people called him demon-possessed and Samaritan? Because he did... You, you think you're a teacher. You don't even know what you're talking about. Plotting to kill him. Jesus, the scripture, by the way, if you were to look at part that he just quoted there, it's in Psalm 69, verse 9. It says, the insults that were shot at you have fallen on me. And you know, sometimes when people have an issue with certain things in the Bible, they take it out on you because you believe it that way. They're real issues with God. But what we want to do, we want to defend ourselves, don't we? We want to justify ourselves. We want to prove that we're right. The scripture says there's going to be times when you're just supposed to just smile. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you ever have one of your kids say, I hate you? <laughs> Hopefully your godly response was to just still love them and hug them. They don't understand. The reason I'm taking away your car keys is for your best. You hate my guts, because that's why you do it. And the insults fall on you, but you just take it. There's going to be times where you as a mature believer are going to understand things that others in the church aren't. They're going to call you stuff. They're going to, oh, by the way, for people like me, if they're in a public ministry that God is using around the country, people are going to, people are going to say, well, can you believe Jim Johnson said this? There are going to be times I didn't even say it. But they're going to take things I did say and twist it. And I'm going to have to just trust that God's going to be God and I have to go and make sure I defend myself in every situation. You need to be willing to do the same thing yourself. Be someone who doesn't seek to please themselves but seeks to bear with the others. Some of you might be in churches right now where there are things going on that they just don't understand what you understand and see what you see. Your instinct's going to be just, let me just go somewhere else where it'll be better. Let me just help you out. I travel around. It's not better anywhere else. <laughs> the same stuff's going to happen until Jesus comes back because people are people. This just makes you hopefully get stronger in the Lord, does it not? When I was in Chicago, I'd only been there six months, I'd gotten word that one of the leading deacons in the church had said in his living room to a group of people that he was going to run me off. You have to understand, I'd only been there six months. I'm barely 30 years old. Uh, Becky and I had just moved up to Chicago on Halloween night of 1995. We got one kid, another one on the way. No friends in the area. No friends in the area. It's cold. I don't care what you say. It's cold. So cold you can't preach on hell because they'll want to go. But uh, it's just, just it's cold. And now I get word that one of the leading deacons has been in that church for a long, long time. Has said in his living room he's going to run me off. I literally got on my knees in the office and cried like a baby. I was scared to death. And God spoke to my heart. He said, Jim, this is the best thing that ever happened to you. Because look what it made you do. It made you come to me. He said, don't you pray that this man dies. Because <laughs> even if he does, I'm going to send someone just like him to keep you here. Oh, God and his awesome plan has made that man one of our closest friends. And he's been in our house a couple of times already down here in Florida. And he's picking me up at the airport tomorrow when I fly into Chicago. <laughs> but instead of fighting him, I kept my eyes on the Lord and kept doing what he told me to do. And God did an awesome thing. In these times where you have these struggles and you want to go to man to fix them, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. He will give you the strength.
to keep going. And that's where verse 4 happens and where we left off. Look closely, please. And I'm going to throw this open for a discussion here. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. I'm going to read that again. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. So here's what I want to talk about. I want to just kind of throw it out. Let's just talk about it. What are some stories from the past in the Scriptures that were given to us so that we could understand about endurance and be encouraged to have hope that God will do what God's going to do. Joseph. Joseph. In what way? Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a lot. Oh, about everything about that story. And and, and again, how they, he was innocent. Besides being a little braggadocious and, and, and full of himself, he was innocent. Mm-hmm. And he was beaten, sold as a slave, accused of rape, thrown into the dungeon, but he kept his eyes on God. And God, in time, worked it out. Keep going. Job, Daniel. Okay, we go Job, and then we'll get to Daniel. Job, what do you get from Job? That he would not curse God. He kept his eyes on God throughout, and things kept getting harder. And even though he had a faith in God, Job began to say, I'd sure like to talk to him. And by the way, God knows that, and there's nothing wrong with saying it. But again, Interestingly enough, in that situation, once he had his face-to-face with God, God says, I'll tell you what, I know you want to ask me some questions. I'll ask you a couple quick ones, and then you can go right ahead. And by the time God was done asking him his simple quick ones, Job said, I, I don't need to ask my questions. Right. You, I've, seen, I've heard about you, he said, but now I've seen you. And that's enough for me. Just think about that. If you get a real glimpse of who God is, you don't need answers anymore. Mm-hmm. Daniel. His diet, um, he stuck to what he felt he should do, and, and that paid off. And and then when he prayed on morning, noon, and night, and um, and despite the warnings of what would happen, he was faithful, and God was faithful to protect him, protect him through the fire. And even the lion's dead. I mean, the lion's dead. Yeah. Abraham. Abraham, what way? Had to wait a long time for his promise. I'll tell you one thing. I thank God for Abraham. I mean, I'm sure Abraham, at this point, is not is okay with me being okay with it. But, <laughs> but thank God for the fact that we see that Abraham had to wait 25 years. Because how many of us in this quick society today have, have been really frustrated because we've been praying and God didn't answer? Yet Abraham waited 25 years. Oh, and by the way. How many of you are encouraged by the fact that God shows all these great men and women slip? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When we get to see Job actually say it's better for a tree than it is for a man. Mm-hmm. You cut a tree down, at least a shoot comes back. When a man dies, what happens? Mm-hmm. And Moses said, I don't, I don't speak too good, so don't. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, do you realize you guys are quoting Hebrews chapter 11? Mm-hmm. Close. <laughs> That's what Hebrews chapter. Go, go there real quick. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to take a, take a look at the last section of it. Les Feldman was preaching on it this morning. Les Feldman was preaching on Hebrews chapter eleven. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad he finally caught up with me. <laughs> Hebrews chapter eleven. Look at verses thirty-two to the end of the chapter. He's been listing what we call the Hall of Fame of faith and the men and women of faith. And look at verse thirty-two. And what more shall I say? I mean, he's just been talking about even Rahab the prostitute. I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. By the way, most think that was Isaiah. Uh, they were put to death by the sword. They were went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only 
together with us would they be made perfect. For those of you that are struggling right now with what to do in your quiet time or the time you spend with the Lord, here's a simple thing to do. Go to Hebrews 11. Pick a name. Go in your concordance. Find where that person's story is. And go read it. But now, when you read it, have a piece of paper with you. And just write down what God tells you about that person's life that he could use to strengthen you and encourage you. Because according to Romans chapter 15, verse 4... Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So you want to to do a study? That will keep you busy for a long time. Go read up on some of these people's lives and just let God speak to your heart to show you stuff. You about to say something here? Alright. But here's the cool part. We're talking about endurance and we hate that word. We know it's necessary, but we sure don't like it, do we? But guess what? Look at verse 5. What does verse 5 say? May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. We run to that spirit of unity among yourselves and miss it. How do you get endurance and encouragement? What does it say? God gives it. So if you say, look, that's all well and good, Jim, but I'm not real good on endurance. I, I that perseverance thing, not my not my best uh, attribute. Well, that's fine, because it's not supposed to come from you anyway. God gives it. God gives it. So if you need endurance, what are you supposed to do? Ask. James chapter 4 says, uh, chapter 1 and following says, Ask and believe and don't doubt. Chapter 4 goes on to say you don't have because you don't ask. You want endurance? Don't try to do better. Ask God to give it and believe that He will. I'm talking with a friend right now in Texas who's been through a journey in their life where God has taken them through a breaking process of over eight years. And it has been a long, arduous from great wealth to right now wondering how they're going to pay the bills. And it's been a slow, gradual, yet they have known that they're in the center of God's will through the whole thing. And all I could talk to them about today was to say, keep going. Keep going. And all I could tell him was, as I prayed while I was talking to him, God clears anything, said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's all I heard. That even though you feel like you've been brought right to the edge, even if you end up in the fire, he'll get you through it. Keep going. But thank God we have these stories in the Bible to show where God has done that. Or we'll be tempted to think that God's waiting for me to do this or waiting for me to do that. No, no, no. Only move when you know you heard him speak. Otherwise, you just keep going what you last heard and trust him. But if you need endurance, you need to ask him. This individual in Texas said, man, I don't know if I can do it. I said, that's good. i got good news for you. I've just been preparing for a Roman study. Ask him. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. It was kind of cool. He called me back tonight, right before we got here, and he said, uh, said, my wife was praying, and God told her to go to Mark chapter 6, verse 31. And they're in the midst of this struggle right now, and Mark 6, 31 says this, Jesus said to his disciples, come apart with me, and rest for a while. That's kind of cool. In the midst of all this, what she heard from God was, come spend some time with me and just rest. I'll take care of it. Many of us have been taught, what am I supposed to do? God wants me to do my part. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, folks. I believe God will speak at times, and when He does, we need to walk in obedience. But until then, we're to just rest. So he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify God and Father and the Father our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, you Jews and Gentiles, is what he's saying here. Then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promise made to the patriarchs, so that Gentiles may glorify God for in his mercy, as it is written, uh, I want different people to take one of these things for the sake of time. We'll speed things up this way. Uh, somebody want to take uh, uh, 
let's go here. Psalm 18, verse 49. Who wants to take that one? All right, Grandma Cooper's got that one. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, 43. I'll take it. All right, Becky, Deuteronomy 32, 43. Someone else wants Psalm 117, verses 1 and 2. Allison was first. <laughs> Isaiah 11, 10. Last one. Okay. No, you were too late yourself. <laughs> Which one was it? 11? 11.10. Isaiah 11.10. Alright. Now, I'm curious to see what different translations, how they are, how they were. Because it's kind of interesting here. Go ahead and read Psalm, 1, oh, sorry, Psalm 18, verse 49. Therefore I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. Now this is interesting. You have an NIV, right? Mm -hmm. Now, keep your bookmark there. Mm -hmm. Go back to Romans chapter 15 when Paul quotes from from that passage there in Psalm 18 verse 49. How does it read here? Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Now how does it read in Psalm 18 verse 49 according to that? Therefore I will praise you among the nations. Yeah. So we need anyone other than the Jews, the Gentiles. Well, what I want, and, and, and then what does it say? And I'll sing what? I'll sing hymns. And so. Yeah. And the other one says. Sing hymns. Uh, I will sing hymns. Mm -hmm. Interesting here that the, uh, the translation of that word in Psalms was nations, yet Paul changed it to Gentiles. He didn't. He didn't do anything wrong by doing that. All Scripture is God breathed. What I want you to understand is there's a tendency for some of us who have been raised in the era of Bible drill to think that when we memorize scripture, we have to have it word for word. Well, as you know, through the many different translations that are out there, there's a possible two or three words that could probably be translated here. And as long as you're keeping the gist of what the passage is saying, learn what the passage is saying. Don't get all freaked out, if you will, over... Well, I got the, if I memorized it word for word. If you actually do a study of all the times where someone quotes from an Old Testament passage in the New Testament, and you go back and compare it, you'll be amazed to find out almost never is it exactly word for word of what it was in the Old Testament. But they still bring out what the meaning was. So just learn what the word says. Don't be, don't stop memorizing because you didn't, you know, I'm not good at getting it word for word. I keep leaving the word and off, you know, kind of whatever. Just learn what it says. But here, it said nations. the nations, the Gentiles. Somebody else, Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and people. Again, we see what? Um, in Romans 15, 10, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And there's nations. Yep. Again, the nations are the Gentiles. Gentiles are anybody. Anybody that's not a Jew. Exactly. But again, what, what, besides the fact that Paul used the word Gentiles instead of the word nations, what is he bringing out? Don't miss what's going on here. Paul's quoting from Old Testament passages that the Gentiles would be what? Saved. Yes. Amen. Now keep in mind, you have to understand the Jewish mindset was the only reason God created the Jews, the Gentiles were for two purposes. This is the honest truth. The Jews were so convinced that they were God's people that everybody else God hated. And they honestly believed that the only reason God made Gentiles were for two purposes. One, we need servants. And two, he has to burn somebody in hell. So he created the Gentiles to burn in hell or to be our servants. That's why... To be a Samaritan was such a, a horrible thing. The Samaritans were Jewish people who had been taken captive into Babylon, Babylon or Syria, and they had, over those years of being in captivity, intermarried with some of those people. And when it came time to move back into the land when they had been released, the ones who had stayed married to only Jews lived in the north and in the south. The Samaritans, those who were half-breeds, if you will, in their minds, who had intermarried, were the ones who they stayed away from. They stayed away from. They totally missed the message. They totally missed the message. And here Paul is saying, look, it's been there all along. The Gentiles were going to be saved too. Let me show you a couple more. Psalm 117, verses 1 and 2. Oh, 
Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Isaiah 11.10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. We all know who the root of Jesse is, right? Jesus. And he's going to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and all the nations are going to come and worship. So what Paul says here is, um, accept one another. And for those of you Jews that think that you're the only ones, it's been God's plan for the Gentiles to be a part of this all along. All right? And, so and we're not an afterthought. I'm sorry? And they were totally missing their responsibility, too. Do we not do the same thing as Christians, unfortunately, when we see someone with long hair? Or we see someone that has tattoos? Or we see someone that lives a lifestyle not like us? Is there not a tendency in the church to think we don't really want them to be part of what we're doing here? We want good, middle-class, white Americans with 2.3 kids. There's a tendency for people who are still more comfortable trying to reach out to people just like us. We've missed the message too. Jesus died for everybody. So keep that in mind. Now in the last section we're going to look at here in verses 14 through 22, I'm going to read it to you. And there's only two main things I want to really bring out of it because during most of this he just is reiterating the same point that he had been called by God to the Gentiles. Paul said, I myself am convinced my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. We're going to come back to that. That's huge. I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, or Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see him, and see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Now, the two main things I think God wants me to bring out from this passage are the first part and the last part. The first part there in verse 14, after he's been spending this whole time in his letter teaching them, he says, I'm convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Well, we're going to go down this road because there's something that I'm dealing with right now as I, as I go around and work with churches. And one of the issues that's really starting to really manifest itself quite a bit is most pastors today do not feel like their people are competent to teach each other. Do they? Have you ever noticed how rare it is for pastors to let the church people run with something all on their own without having their hand on it. Amen. They're afraid of false teaching. They're afraid of bad instruction. And they feel like they have to... Paul literally here, dealing with a church who obviously does not understand a lot of things, also just said there, I'm fully convinced that you're full of goodness and knowledge and competent to instruct one another. First of all, where in the world was this confidence coming from? Christ. In what way? Well, he knows, he's fully convinced in the sovereignty of God and that he knows that the people that he's writing to have the Holy Spirit and trust God's going to get them there. That's the big key. His confidence was not in the fact that he had seen them do it. Because has he not been dealing with their divisions and their fights and their misunderstandings? It definitely is not coming from the fact that I think I've seen in you enough to, that you guys... It's totally in the fact of who God is, and like you just said it, God is able to get us where he wants us to be. Right? Yeah. We need to trust in a big God, 
And what I'm going to say, and, and what I, we need to release the laity, if you will, to go minister. Sad thing is, the lady's happy with the, minister, the pastors, if you will, being the ones who do the work of the ministry. Someone needs to be saved, we call the preacher. Someone's sick, we tell the pastor. When all along this has ever been God's design. God's design is that the church, I'm reading a book right now, it's actually written back in the 80s, called The Church Unleashed. Getting them out of the fortress and out into the world to do ministry. Where biblically, the Bible's design is that the pastors or the elders or the spiritual overseers, the leaders in the church, their role is to equip the body to just go do whatever it is God wants them to do. And it might not even be inside the walls of what we call the local church building. In other words, you got a heart to go reach people on the beach. George, you got a heart to go reach surfers. How can we help you go do it? Just go do it. We don't even have to be involved in it. Just go do it. Mm -hmm. We want to equip you. We want to get you out and go down there and release you to do it. And actually, so much of what God wants to accomplish is not being accomplished by the local church because of the fact that the pastors have to have their hands on all of it. Here Paul writes and said, I'm fully convinced that you're able to do this. It's totally a faith that God's going to get it where it needs to be. I think about what you do, Ray, with Campus on Mission. That's just a bunch of people who love the Lord, who are going out and using their gifts to go serve the Lord. But isn't it sad, though, that we have to start all these parachurch ministries to get some of these other ministries done? I mean, how often have we been asking people in churches to be a part of the Seafarers ministry and all this kind of stuff? But actually, it's parachurch ministries that tend, end up doing... A lot of us don't... Have you ever heard of the Navigators? Have you ever heard of the Navigators? It's a ministry started many years ago by a man named Dawson Trotman. Actually... Um, he had a heart to reach sailors. That's where it all got started. Many years ago, he wanted to reach sailors for Christ. But he realized he wasn't getting a whole lot of support from the local church because the local church, unfortunately, uh, was more interested in who's going to show up here and we're going to get their dollars. Sailors are just not going to be here. They're going to be out on the boat. You really can't count them for your records, for your denomination, and all that kind of stuff. And he ended up starting a not-for-profit parachurch organization called the Navigators. Go reach people for Christ who are sailors. Oh, to see the church say, you got a heart to do ministry in this area? How can we help you go do it and let you go do it? be a cool thing, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Think about all the things. I was talking to a man today. I was at this one place where my daughters were doing conditioning for their sports leagues for the Homeschool Association. And talking to this one man, he's a lay person, but he's just got a heart to reach people for Christ who really don't know anything about God. Not the kind of people you can say, come to church. He just has a heart to go be where they are. And go. And he's coaching all these sports teams, Little League, baseball, all this kind of stuff, and hopes to run into these people that he can get the good news to them and get in their house and talk to their kids. And he's having inroads through that. And God's doing a cool thing. And it's not even really tied in with his local church in the sense of he's just reaching people for Christ. And his time at his local church is just to fire him up and equip him to go do it better even more. So he just puts himself in the situation. He doesn't make the situation happen. He just is He just felt like coaching. he, 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 he literally at one point was coaching four to seven teams in one season just to get where these people are. He's a missionary. He's a missionary. <laughs> you know? And... Uh, Living his life as he is, people will come and ask questions or he'll drop a kid off at someone's house and the door will open. He's doing Bible studies in people's houses when those doors open. They have questions. And actually he was sharing today how this one family that mom and dad are pagans. They don't believe that there's... Well, actually, they believe there's a god and a goddess. They believe that the world was created by two gods. One was male, one was female, and all this kind of stuff. No need to get into all that. But the main thing is, is the kids, though started coming to church with him and he's bringing them back on Wednesday night and through them, the door's been open and he's now doing Bible study with the parents. Again, may or may not ever count their numbers in our local congregation. Who cares? Who cares? The pastor would believe that the lady is competent of doing this stuff themselves. I hope you don't think I'm the only one able to teach. I love what I'm doing. But if what would spring out of this would be groups of you getting together with other people during the week, go for it. Go for it. But we're so worried about protecting from false doctrine, we don't let people 
even make mistakes. Because remember, I shared with you a few weeks ago, if you go back and listen to tapes from me 27 years ago, I'm embarrassed some of the things I said that aren't true, biblically. But you know what? God used me anyway. God used me anyway. The last thing is this. Look at verse 20. Paul said, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And then he says, that's why I have often been hindered from coming to you. In other words, Paul's saying to this church, look, the re- one of the reasons why you haven't seen me here there at that local church is because my passion is to go preach the gospel where people haven't heard it. There's a church there in Rome. They heard the gospel. Not going to be my first stop, Paul would say. But what I want to deal with in this section here is to caution you to be careful and make sure that you don't turn a passage that is not mandatory for everyone into a mandatory for everyone. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Paul, look closely, he says, It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So I wouldn't be building on someone else's work. And too often, preachers and teachers will say, Since that was Paul's passion, that needs to be your passion. Didn't say that, does it? Paul just simply stating his passion. Back in Psalm chapter 1, David says, I meditate on your law day and night. How often have we heard the preacher say, since David meditated on his law day and night, you need to as well. Or Daniel prayed three times. Since Daniel was praying three times a day, there are preachers out there that will take people sharing their heart's joy and they'll try to make it your Ambition. I wrote the notes on my, on my Bible here in a little sideline. I wrote, this is Paul's call. Mine is to strengthen the body. Mm-hmm. I really don't have a desire to go preach where the gospel's not been heard. From day one, God made clear to me, my, my role is to go speak to the Christians and fire them up, wake them up, send them out, go do it. Get their eyes on God, not on man, not on tradition, not on the bylaws. But what is God saying? That's been my heart, that's been my passion. Don't let someone take someone else's passion and have it be yours. Although, some of you might sit there and read that and go, man, I, I, I love that. See, the same Jesus that told the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel is the same Jesus that when the man that was healed of a legion of demons said, I want to go with you on your travels, he said, no, I want you to stay home. I want you to preach at home. So which is it? Go into all the world and preach the gospel? Or stay home. What you're called to do. What you're called to do. And here's what we're going to wrap up with tonight. I wrote these two questions at the end of my notes. What is God's plan for you? And I'm going to clarify that. What is God's plan for you now? Because as you're about to see next week when we wrap up our study of Romans, this same Paul that said, I don't want to go preach where the gospel's already been preached and build on somebody else's work. Is the same one in the next verses that says, oh, by the way, the work I'm in is coming to a close, and I want to go to Spain, and so my desire is to, on the way to Spain, come see you. Which is it, Paul? You just said you only want to go where the gospel's not been preached. Now you say you're going to come see us. Well, Paul understood, at this point, God has released me from what I'm doing. I want to go preach in Spain where the gospel hasn't been heard, but I also believe God's opening a door for me to come see you. So the question is twofold. What is God's plan for you? What's his passion he laid on your heart? Well, it's there. Because the Bible says we were not only saved, we were also given gifts. We were also preordained, there are preordained good works, Ephesians 2.10, that God planned in advance for us to do. And it's going to line up with the passion of your heart. What is he prepared for you to do? And two, understand that he's free to tweak it. Doesn't have to be what I'm going to do the rest of my life. What does he have for you to do and what does he have for you to do now? So, if you want to talk about it, we can. You don't have to. If you don't know, you don't know yet. But go down that road of, if you got to design what you did in ministry, what would it be? In being used by God, and you got to pick it, what would it be? Now, the sad thing is, many of us first start thinking of the different committees that there are already in the church and the different organizations and programs and structures that already exist. And I'm going to say, no! 
Don't go there. Now, if God's laid one on your heart, go for it. But for the most part, we just start thinking inside that box of the local church. I'm saying look outside that box. It still would be a part of a local body. Hopefully your time with other believers would be encouraged. But somebody want to throw something out? If you had to design what you did in ministry, what would it be? Does the silence mean you have no idea or you're scared to death to put this on recording for the world to listen to? <laughs> or if you had to design what you did, Jean, what would you do? What well, I love strangers. And I love to talk to them and find out who they are. But I won't say it is not my desire to present the gospel to them. But I would like to have that desire that because God allows me that great freedom to enjoy strangers to be able to present him to them. So if you had to design what you did in ministry, you'd spend your free time just going and talking to people that you've never met before. Developing a relation. Now, now, I'm asking this for a reason here. Are you wanting to develop it long enough, long term, or just mainly go plant some seed and move on and plant seed somewhere else? Where, where, where would you, if you get the design, what would it be? To plant seed. Plant seed. Not go meet someone at, at a store and then develop this long term relationship. You want to go plant seed. Well, here's what I want to tell you. Pray that God will give you those opportunities and believe that in that situation, He will give you the words of whatever it is. Don't come with a set, this is what my little program, this is my little spiel, which too many of us try to do. We put our faith in the method instead of the Spirit of God leading us. Pray for God to give you those opportunities and look for them. And let that be... <laughs> let that be... Let that be a ministry that God uses you to go plant seed and heal one day you're going to find out in heaven all the stuff he did that you'll never know on this side. Uh, yeah. That'd be a cool thing. Somebody else. I know the recording is scary. If we want to turn it off, we can talk some more afterwards. How about we do that? How about we finish in prayer? We'll, we'll continue talking along this road. Father, again, thank you for this chance just to open up your word. And there's so much here in chapter 15, and a lot of this probably had never really been looked at by some of us here. And Lord, I know there's stuff here that I saw that I'd never seen before as well. And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to just really, everything comes back to a view of big, awesome, sovereign God who's going to get his stuff done. We want to be a part of it. And so, Lord, now as we wrap this study up, begin to continue, I pray, speak to our hearts as to how it is you've wired us to be a part of your kingdom work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.